I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. Today I have a special guest, Tyler Fern, as he comes on and talks about all things Champions League with the final eight coming up and then also uh, the final stages of the Premier League season with uh, some teams having five games left and some teams having six games left. So we talk about who's going to make the the, their run for the top four and who is going to be crowned as the champion of the Premier League. So we give our predictions for the Champions League and the Premier League. So um, take a listen to all of the opinions that we give and hopefully Liverpool is able to pull it out for the Premier League and Champions League title. So go Liverpool. This is Tyler. Hey, Tyler. Thanks again for joining me on this edition of the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, there's so much stuff going on in the world of soccer right now. Um, we're recording this on a Monday night right before the final eight, the quarterfinals of the Champions League is starting up with tomorrow's fixtures. Um and it's just a really, really exciting time uh, with all the things that are going on in the Premier League and then as well as in the Champions League. So thanks again for coming on, Tyler. Yes, thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, and there's been so much stuff that's been happening since the last time you came came on. Um, I mean, Skullscar ended up getting... Um, appointed as a full-time manager. We'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast. But where I thought we would start off is actually breaking down some of the Champions League matchups um, with the game starting on to, uh, starting tomorrow on Tuesday, um, the first legs of the, the matchups between Liverpool and Porto. And I believe it's, is it Man City versus Tottenham tomorrow as well? Yep, exactly. So, so let's talk about my team, Liverpool, for a bit uh, to start off. Now, they have a really, I think, a really interesting matchup against Porto. And when the fixtures came out uh, and the matchups came out, I think all Liverpool fans were pretty happy that they didn't see Barcelona, Man City, or Juventus. And that uh, this was pretty much the best outcome that they could have hoped for in terms of matchups. Yeah, definitely a, a nice, uh, relatively easy quarterfinal draw for you guys. Right, and there's some history there because last year in the round of 16, Liverpool actually beat uh, this Porto team 5-0 aggregate um, over the two legs. So there's, I, I would say on Liverpool's perspective, there's like a ton of confidence that they can repeat. There aren't that many characters that really – changed um in terms of different players i think um i think casillas could be someone that's really important for porto obviously he's um while he's i guess older in age um maybe he turns back the clock and kind of 
maybe has one of those vintage Real Madrid games and keeps Porto in it. But I don't envision this being that tough of a matchup for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you'll um, as Porto will enjoy his seniority and experience and just his wealth of knowledge to, to have that in the dressing room. Um, and he's also linked up with Pepe um, in defense there. So that's, you know, a pretty solid foundation, although they're definitely past their prime. Um, that's something that could throw a little bit of a wrench in, in the Liverpool plans. Yeah, and... I mean, the one guy for Porto that's probably going to be their key guy, he's already signed to go to Real Madrid next year, Ader uh, Militao. He's supposed to be like this really, really good center back um, for Porto. So I wonder how that matchup is going to be between him and uh, Roberto Firmino. As I, I wonder how Firmino is going to be playing because he's been dropping back a lot, kind of playing this false nine type of role in Liverpool's lineup right now and dropping back into the midfield to receive the ball. And yeah. that ends up drawing center backs with him so that they can, so Liverpool can play Salah and Mane using their pace in behind uh, the center backs. And I think that's probably some of the ideas that Liverpool's going to try to play with. Um, in terms of pace and things like that. Yeah, it should be interesting, but I definitely see you guys having the advantage over two legs. Right, and I think my one concern is in the first leg, um, Andy Robertson's actually going to be missing the game through suspension and yellow card accumulation uh, really late in that round of 16 matchup. Uh, against Bayern Munich, Robertson. I think it was like in injury injury time. He and or extra time. He ended up picking up a yellow card super late, and that was like the one guy that couldn't pick up the like. He's probably the one I would say player on Liverpool that is so integral to what they do, and especially because there's not really a natural backup at left back for Liverpool unless you're going to roll the dice with Alberto Moreno, which I think is highly doubtful in terms of what Klopp is going to do. And I think James Milner is going to be actually taking that role. But that is probably the one concern that I have um, going into tomorrow's game and seeing whether or not they're able to hold up. But Milner's played in that position. It's not a role that he's unfamiliar with. It's just He's it's been just a whole a, year playing there. Right, exactly. But it's two seasons just, ago. Right, two seasons ago. So it's not like it's unfamiliar to him, but it's that's probably the only concern that I would have as a Liverpool fan. Yeah. That's so, valid. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I think it's pretty easy uh to see Liverpool going through. If they don't go through to the semis, I think it would be a pretty big shock. Um and I think there would be a lot of questions to be asked as to uh, what would happen. But you just never know with the Champions League, especially with the Champions League that we've had um, this year, especially with the exciting matchups with Man U coming back in their last ra- in their last round, and then also Ajax coming back against Real Madrid last round. So you just really never know what ends up happening, especially yeah. uh, in this year's edition of the Champions League. So I mentioned. Um, 
I mentioned a couple of other teams, but let's also break down Man City versus Tottenham. And this is the English Premier League duel. And I guess as a whole, if you kind of look at the Champions League um, as a whole, half the participants left are from the English Premier League. And that's got to be something super positive um, as fans of the English Premier League. Yeah, really strong year for the Premier League. Um, I can't remember the last time it has been, um, you know, four teams left in at this stage. It's just really impressive because it was just a few seasons ago people were starting to talk about the Premier League losing that um, fourth Champions League spot because of the quality of play and the coefficient for the strength of the leagues and the way that all gets calculated. But here we are back, you know, this year's um, competition, and it's really good to see the the Premier League as a whole stepping up and, and doing well on the big stage. Right, and I'm I'm kind of curious to see how this Man City versus Tottenham um, Champions League matchup ends up playing out, just because it there's it's it's really interesting with what Man City is kind of going for in terms of history with them still being eligible to go after the quadruple that they're kind of like this thing that they're striving for this season and for for those listeners that don't really know what a quadruple is it's basically winning four cups in one season or four pieces of hardware in one uh one season so they've already won the Carabao Cup um and they're still eligible for the FA Cup they just made the finals and they'll be playing Watford in the finals um, at Wembley, and then they have they're still um, they're they're in second in the Premier League, but they're they have a game in hand and are, are only down by two points to Liverpool, and then they're obviously in the Champions League. So, Tyler, I guess as much as this pains you as a Man U fan, like how do you rate their chances um, of possibly completing this quadruple and? whether or not you like their chances going forward in the Champions League? Well, um, they obviously got the hard one out of the way with the Carabao Cup. Totally. <laughs> so they, totally. Locked, they locked that down. Exactly. Um, but um, to be honest, I, I don't think they are going to do the quadruple. I don't think they have any chance of getting all four. Um, but I could see them winning the FA Cup and the Premier League this season, but I don't think that they have the Champions League in them. They've historically just struggled to finish out games and to continue their um, domestic league form abroad for whatever reason. I don't know if it's a mindset with the players lacking that experience of winning the Champions League and getting to the final. You know, they, they're going to be there and pretty much every player I believe is going to be, you know, going for the first time so um, if they were to get that far so that's just something that is not as much in their pedigree as as is the you know the Premier League FA Cup so I think they are going to win maybe the the soft treble I'll call it (laughs) including the Carabao Cup the FA Cup and the Premier League but I don't think they're gonna um, I don't think they're gonna make it all the way through the uh, through the Champions League do you, uh, looking at this matchup against Tottenham, do you think they make it um, past this round? 
That's a great question. I think this matchup could honestly go either way. And if this was a, a game in the Premier League, I would tip City to win it. However, based on what I just said about the pressure they, they're under for the Champions League and, and their lack of experience with winning it, I I think this really is just going to come down to um, a very fine margin. I don't think this is going to be a blowout one way or the other. And I honestly feel like picking Tottenham just because I, I want to see them spoil the party. So <laughs> I think yeah. they I think they have the potential to do it too. Yeah, I think I'll be rooting for Tottenham pretty hard actually <laughs> in this game. Like really hard just because yeah. like Son's on the other side. And I think there's a lot of stuff that I would say Tottenham has to play for especially in this Champions League, because the Premier League for them, they're going to be in a battle for a top four spot. But they, I feel like it kind of frees them up in the Champions League to try just go to just go for it and not feel super intimidated by Man City. It's not like they have like a ton to play for. I don't think many people expect them to even win this matchup anyway. So I think that might, free them up of all these expectations and be able to see what they can do. And I think there's also like another interesting wrinkle as well. These teams are going to be seeing each other three times in the span of about two weeks or a week in three times in the span of like 10 days, uh, twice in the champions league and then once um, in the premier league. So I wonder if there's going to be some type of mind games that, Pochettino and um, especially and Pep, Pep. <laughs> right? And Pep kind of play in terms of matchups and what what they value more. Like, let's say if uh, one team kind of blows it out in the first game of the Champions League in the first leg, um, what what their strategy is for the second leg because of possibly resting players to um, save them for that um, Premier League matchup uh, the following Sunday, I believe. So yeah. it's, it's going to be really I'm, – I'm really interested to see this, like – and I wonder if, like, drama happens within the, the three games because I don't think you actually see um, teams play that much three times in the span of 10, 10 days in competitive um, games. Right. That doesn't happen um, all that much. So I wonder if there's some type of bad blood or things that spill over. So it, it'll, it'll be fun to witness and see. Is there is there like, because, and I think there's a lot of other things that we could talk about in Man City because I, I know Kyle Walker ended up coming off um, during the FA Cup uh, during halftime it seemed like he had like a hamstring injury possibly. I wonder if he's going to be okay for the game tomorrow. Um, Benjamin Mendy, he recently just came back during the FA Cup. And then obviously Sergio Aguero, he's been yeah, out. Big one. Yeah. And that's going to be the huge question mark because they're just a different team when he's not on the field. And I, well, while, while Gabriel Jesus is a fine player, he is nothing – he doesn't. He doesn't match the pro- level of production that Aguero has. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see if Aguero Aguero doesn't play what that team looks like 
um, around Gabriel Jesus leading the line. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, but I still think they have their you know strength in their midfield with players like De Bruyne and both Silvas, um, and also the option to bring Mares in there. So they're definitely still pretty stacked. Um, I know. But yeah, it's like, they're, they're most yeah. It's comical to kind of like. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah um, it's just comical to talk about their depth, but yeah, they have all these players, right? And obviously, their most prolific scorer in Aguero um, is is the key figure there. Another quick thing about Spurs is um, they'll also be really excited about their new stadium, which finally opened after many delays and a lot of time playing in Wembley. Um, so now they finally have their new um, place to call home and. Um, they got that first victory um, against, uh, was it, who were they playing against? I believe it was just Crystal Palace. Palace, yeah. They, right. they just got their um, their first win in the new stadium. So I could see that playing a small factor in um, just the atmosphere. I'm sure they're yeah, going to be I, really I excited t- about that. I could totally see that crowd being revved up for the game, especially a big opponent like Man City and the Champions League. There's no bigger stage than that. So it's going to be really exciting to see, like, how the crowd reacts and um, whether or not Tottenham I, – I, I would have to say Tottenham has to probably get it, get a quick start against Man City to really put the pressure on. And I think, I think this is where – and I don't think Man City really deals with any of the mental problems in the other – uh, competitions and in the Premier, uh, Premier League, but in the Champions League, like you alluded to before, for whatever reason, with all the success they've had uh, domestically, they s- tend to struggle on the European stage for whatever reason. And maybe it's that familiarity of playing an opponent like Spurs that kind of gives them this reassurance like, hey, we could kind of, we know this opponent, we could kind of think of it as another Premier League game and kind of trick their mentality into uh, playing better. For And hopefully that kind of carries through um, if you're a Man City fan. Yeah. Yeah, so it, I think it's an interesting matchup. I'm rooting for Tottenham, but it's kind of the one of those things where my heart is rooting for Tottenham <laughs> in this matchup, and then my head is kind of saying – are you dumb, Kevin? City's probably going to pretty much going to win. But it's not like Tottenham's um, a walkover type of team where they're completely no. like... They've been struggling a little bit recently. Um, I think they got their first win in the Premier League over Palace since February. So they, they were going through a bit of a slump, but, you know, anything can happen on on the day. So I'm hoping they get a quick result. Like you said, maybe they start with their speedsters like Lucas and son. Um, and if they get a win in the first leg, I like their chances. Yeah, on. totally. So Tyler, let's go to your team, Man U versus Barcelona. And I mean, for me personally, I, I think it's a pretty easy call on my, from my point of view. But make the argument for me as to what, as to why Man U has a shot against uh, this Barcelona team. So you're saying when you said obvious, you weren't saying it was a Man United win. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> just to clarify <laughs> thanks for thanks for giving me giving me a nice chuckle but um no i i mean i think it's i think barcelona is pretty heavily favored here and especially i think with the way man u's been playing lately it almost tips the scales in favor of barcelona even more um man u's been struggling a little bit in the league and it's been a little bit of a concern lately especially um maybe there's a complacency that's kind of washed over menu especially after um Skullscar ended up signing his his deal uh to be the full-time manager but i'm curious to see how they perform against barcelona and it seems like they'll be playing a pretty similar style that they played um, against PSG. That's that's probably what I see uh, from this matchup and kind of hit on the counterattack. Um, is there anything else that you see um, that's different that man you could po- possibly do? Um, well, yeah, first of all, like you said, um, Solskjaer getting the permanent job. I was very excited about that. I think it's a great move by the club. Um, However, the timing is a little uh, its a little interesting in the, the sense that, on the one hand, you want to give him time to prepare for the summer transfer market and start building a squad when he knows it's actually his squad now and he's in charge, um, which is great. But on the other hand, like you said, it's almost like a small sense of maybe complacency coming in with just a handful of games remaining in the season where we had been playing so well and sort of riding this wave of excitement and um, all of this new energy around the club and the results were going our way. And then I don't know if it was coincidence or not, but the past couple of weeks, it just started to slow down and we sort of started to get back to reality and, and realize that there are still some issues with the squad um, but that being said, um, I do still think we have a chance, uh, to move, to move on, uh, past Barcelona. Obviously we're not favored, um, just like you said, based on our recent form and also a form over the past three, four years. Um, we historically always have lost to Barcelona in the Champions League the past um, I think ever really ever since 08, um, mm-hmm. we've, they've been right. the ones who've knocked us out late on pretty much every single time we've made it far um, since then. Um, so that's not a great history to come into this game with. Um, the other thing is that Pogba, as a player who can really take a game and change the results you know, by himself, he has not been having very many good matches lately. I'm not sure the reasoning on that. But that, I think, has been a big part of the team's overall performances as well, just because he is so important when he plays to his potential. He can really just bring the team with him. Um, If he has a good game and he gets back in his form that he was at the first month or two under Solskjaer, I think we have a really decent chance of of hanging with Barcelona. Um, Our center back situation obviously is going to be a weakness um even wolves have been picking us apart the past couple of times we've played them a couple of times in recent succession and it still comes back to jones and smalling 
Um, Lindelof is stronger, but you still are probably going to have one of Jones and Smalling in there as well. I like Smalling for his pace, but sometimes he gets caught out of position. Jones always throwing his body on the line, but not the most high-quality technical defender to have back there. So I think I'm going to be hoping for a draw one leg and then a a very marginal victory, one goal or something like that on the second leg. Um, I see that as the only way for us to get through. I'm just really hoping to avoid getting embarrassed at this point because we've made it so far in terms of a, of a departure from the toxic nature under Jose that it shouldn't be seen as a failure if we get knocked out to, against Barcelona in the quarterfinals. Um, more importantly for us, I think, is to finish strong and get that fourth spot not locked down in the league. Um, but I think that being said, it's not impossible for us to progress to the next round. Right. I don't think it's impossible. I think the template and the I, I believe the first match, uh, first leg of the matchup is in Old Trafford, correct? Yes. So, I, I mean, I think the template is kind of what you outlined is play super conservative in the first game and don't give up an away goal. I think that's probably the key. If they can hold it to a scoreless draw um, and it be 0-0, which is going to be a massive feat if they're able to do something like that um, against uh, a team led by Messi and Suarez and all the attacking options that Barcelona has, if they're able to limit it to 0-0 matchup and then just kind of sneak a goal in in the second leg, I think that would be the the template as to what you'd kind of hope for against a team like Barcelona because it's going to be really tough to match the offensive output that Barcelona has. So I think that's probably the key and then kind of hit on the counterattack um, against um, with like players like Martial or uh, Rashford. Um, and I wonder – is. Uh, I'm not. I haven't been keeping up with Manu specifically that much, but has Lukaku? I know Lukaku was injured for a bit of time. Is he going to be available for the game? Is he going to be deployed in this game, or do you think it's going to be some combination of Martial, um, Rashford, Lingard, Mata? I don't know what how you see the attack playing out for them. Um, that's a great question. Honestly, I I'm not sure because. Um, also Rashford has had some slight injury worries popping up as well. I think Lukaku is back to full fitness. Um, but I'm not sure that Rashford will even get the start um, because he's been, he's been having some trouble with his ankle too, I think. Um, but I think that he'll definitely focus on speed up front. So I could easily see Martial and Lingard getting utilized. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if someone like Mata gets in to provide some creativity or if he focuses more on just the out-and-out pace and then loading the midfield with people who can lock it down, like with Matic and Pogba in there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Herrera is still working off that injury that he um, picked up in the um, Liverpool match. Right. Um, so obviously we have McTominay who's been doing really well, but is still very young. 
um, and also like um, Pereira. Um, so it's probably going to be a relatively young squad, I would think. Um, but it'll just be interesting to see if he focuses more on on locking it down, um, which is sort of would be considered like a Jose tactic. But against Barcelona, sometimes you have to be realistic, I guess. Um, or yeah, if he so, really focuses on moving forward. Yeah, and I think I mean I think we had the right idea about the template that Solskjaer should be playing um, yeah. against Barcelona, and I wouldn't be surprised if it plays out like that. And even if he does try to plan to attack, I. I mean, the majority of the possession, Barcelona is probably going to have somewhere close to like 60 to 65 percent of the possession in this type of game. I would not be surprised about that. Um, And Messi's like, you know, Messi's Messi. He's probably the best player um, in this generation, along with Cristiano Ronaldo. So it's you're going to try to get or take what you can get on the man U side of things. And if you're Barcelona, you're going to be playing this possession based type of soccer and really be probing um, and seeing whether or not you can uh, create your opportunities from there. I actually think um, Barcelona, the key guy that I'm going to be keying in on, um, which is going to be like, I think the most important part of their team is uh, Busquets and seeing whether or not, um, he's going to be because he's going to be the start of their attack in terms of um, clearing a lot of the balls that um, that I think Man U's going to be trying to play um, this counterattacking soccer. And I think if Busquets is able to control the middle of that field, it's going to free up a lot of the attacking options for Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the two the two teams go head to head. I hope we can just weather this storm and and get something out of it. So Tyler, let's move on to our last um, Champions League matchup: Juventus versus Ajax. And Ajax ha- is coming off of that extremely, extremely exciting uh, win against Real Madrid. Like it was just, it was pretty much domination in that second leg yeah. from them, and it was unbelievable to witness i people were just going crazy and um although i would have like if it was real versus juventus and it's not that we would have been guaranteed that because of the draw and everything like that that would have been exciting in itself too just because cristiano versus old team uh real has been really struggling this season um domestically as well so um i think that's kind of been um, a symbol of what they've been going through in that matchup against Ajax. But Ajax looks good. They have a lot of, I would say, really creative young players. Frankie De Jong, who's supposed to be that, um, like, the center mid defensive midfielder, center midfield type of player. Um, he's going to be on his way to Barcelona next year. So they have creative players that can – play against Juventus and then there's the question of whether or not Ronaldo is going to be fit enough to play in the first leg of this matchup um what are your thoughts on this matchup between Juventus and Ajax yeah I think uh just like you said last round of the competition Ajax showed us the real heart and spirit of the Champions League and putting together that really impressive performance to upset Real um 
So with that having taken place, who knows what can happen um, against Juventus as well. Why not? Um, but I still think that, personally, I have Juventus winning the Champions League all the way this year. Um, mm, so interesting. I, I think this is going to be another one where they're going to have to battle it out, but they'll come out on top in the end. However, like you said, they do have some um, injury concerns, like um, Ronaldo is still TBD, which is obviously a huge deal. He single-handedly mm-hmm. took them through um, the last round. They had their own drama coming back against Atletico. Um, That's correct, right. And then without him, who knows if they would even be in this round now. And then I just heard that Killini is also a doubt now, which is their rock back there in defense. So you start to look at those two massively important players as a doubt for the first leg. Um, and and you start to question um, whether or not they'll have the resolve to get past this energetic Ajax team. Ajax is at home, I believe, first leg. So mm-hmm. Juventus has that sort of advantage of just trying to be able to grab some away goals to stack the odds in their favor for the return trip. But um, although this could go either way, I still am favoring Juventus. Yeah, I'm totally favoring Juventus here. I think it's pretty clear. Um, the Chiellini um, injury is pretty worrisome. Juventus, he's their captain, um, and he's been he's been their rock in the back. And they've kind of been playing when they don't play four in the back, they'll play that like three back Italian type of system. And they'll have these wing backs um, on the outside that are really good for them. I'm kind of curious to see how they end up playing um, like, and whether or not some of these players end up stepping up if Ronaldo doesn't play um, in his absence, like, uh, Paulo Dybala, he's kind of been in and out of this lineup, and he hasn't been featured a lot um, recently. And there's this guy, Moise Keane, I believe, and he's kind of come on to the scene um, mm-hmm. with Ronaldo being out. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm just curious to see like how how they function without Ronaldo because I think. A lot of times on Ronaldo, Ronaldo teams, a lot of teams, and I think you're kind of seeing this from what Real's been struggling with this year, is teams don't really know how to function without a star player like that, that commands that amount of attention and that amount of that percentage of the ball at their feet. And he's just such a dynamic player that I think players, when tend to not know how to play without him um, when he's off the pitch. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they function without him and whether or not, and I think it, it it's going to clearly illustrate whether or not this team can function without him and um, is a team ju- more than just Ronaldo. Right. And then do you think if, if you're, um, you know, if you're Juve, do you think, if Ronaldo is not 100% fit, do you start him this first leg, or would you rest him? I mean, I, I mean, I think I would rest him honestly. Like, not not to be offensive to Ajax, and I think Ajax has a really good young squad, but 
I think Juventus just clearly has a better roster even without Ronaldo. It, I, it's and if you can't be Ajax without Ronaldo with the amount of talent that you have um, in Juventus, I'd be a little bit worried. You know, if I'm Juventus and I can't beat this Ajax team without Ronaldo, I'd be worried. And it just, if Ronaldo's going to be 75, 80, 85%, it, he's not going to be as effective as he usually is um, because he's known for those powerful um powerful runs um out on the wing and if he can't function because of yeah. a muscle jump problem, in like two feet higher than everyone else to get that that's what i that's what i mean like yeah. he's, it's gonna be a struggle for um he's gonna put juventus in in a hole because then they'll be like always monitoring him plus if he gets if he re-injures it then it just kind of affects uh, the future aspects. And I think like they, if they can build up a, a lead in that first leg, it might be advantageous of, for them to not even play him in the second leg either. Um, so it, I mean, if I'm them, it, I think it's a really tough call, especially if he's like anywhere close to a hundred percent, but I'd probably err on the side of caution. I completely agree. Just was wondering your thoughts. Because um, even if they do have some shock defeat in the first leg, if that gives him enough time to be 100% for the second leg, you take it. Enough. Yeah. yeah, that's enough right there. So. Yeah, and you clearly see that Ronaldo is an important piece to the puzzle, um, especially in that last round against Atletico where he basically were, was like, Hey guys, get on my back. I'm I'm gonna carry us there. Yeah. So, it like if he's at a hundred percent, you know he can kind of carry this team, even if they're down multiple goals. You know that you're not out of it if you have Ronaldo at a hundred percent. But I think that's only if he's at a hundred percent, especially with him approaching the age that he's approaching at. Like you really want him at that a hundred percent level of health. Um, for the, for him to be able to contribute to this team. Yeah. And they still have, like, uh, Mandzukic and Bernardeschi and um, Dybala and Keane. So they'll they'll be doing fine without him, in my opinion, as well, like you said. Yeah, I, I totally believe that. So I wouldn't be worried about that. So it seems like we're in agreement with uh, Juventus moving on through. And then that would kind of bring up some really interesting matchups um in the semis between Juventus, Man City, um I mean you have Tottenham and then Liverpool <laughs> and we might have a it's possible if uh Man U uh shocks Barcelona and Liverpool's able to get by Porto, we might be having a Liverpool Man U semifinal matchup which would be an insane semifinal and I think it it's it would just be a ton of fun and I think for us um, we, we we would definitely have to get back on the podcast, and we'd be definitely talking a lot of shit in the yeah, past. That would be uh, between incredible. Each other. So we might have to place a bet if that were to ever come up um, in in the next couple weeks. So um, I'm actually hoping for that because then it would be. <laughs> I think it would be just like an amazing viewing experience, um, yeah. especially with the rivalry between Liverpool and Man U. 
um, it would just be a really exciting matchup. I'd be crapping my pants watching the game, but it would be <laughs> a ton of fun. Yeah, I would be calling off work for sure. Yeah, that's a definite, uh, yeah, I'm a little sick <laughs> for whatever reason with the fake costs and everything. So, um, yeah, we're, I'm hoping for that matchup, but it, for me, it seems a little unlikely and I think it's going to be Barcelona going through, um, in that. Fair matchup. enough. <laughs> yeah. So, we'll see. yeah, we'll see. Maybe man, you shocks, uh, the world again, uh, like the last <laughs> round. So, I did want to move on to the Premier League, and we're getting into um, the last stages of the season, the final five or six games of the season. Some some teams have played 33 games. Some teams have played 32 games um, in the league. So right now, Liverpool is – I'm actually going to pull up um, the the table right now, and Liverpool's leading by two points. Um, above Man City, but Man City does have a game in hand, having only played 32 games. Um, and then Chelsea sitting in third um, at 66 points, and they, they've they played one more game um, compared to Tottenham, Arsenal, and Man U. And Tottenham sitting at 64, Arsenal sitting at 63, and then Man U sitting at 61. So I don't know who you wanted to talk about first, but I think um, the really compelling um, thing, and I think this is what a lot of the talking heads have been talking about um, in in Europe, um, all throughout the world, is this kind of historic battle between Liverpool and Man City um, for the Premier League crown. And it's it's pretty crazy, man. Liverpool's only lost one time this year, and it's possible that they would they're going to lose this whole and during this whole season only once and still possibly lose the premier league title um if both teams win out which is incredibly insane um but that is definitely a possibility what are your thoughts um just in handicapping the the premier league title race between liverpool and man city well first and foremost i think I was hoping and asking, wishing for this when we first started previewing this season was this a title race as opposed to the last few years where it's been, you know, decided with weeks to go and Man City ran away with it last year. Um, to see five, six games left and have such a fine margin on the table between these top two teams is just really exciting. Um, I wish there were any other teams other than Liverpool and City. <laughs> I know personally, but it puts you in a weird position can't as a choosers, Man U right? fan, exactly. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, just first and foremost, what an incredible way to to end out the season. Just see how these teams can can hold up. Um, I think the first thing that I think of when I start looking at this is the remaining fixtures. Um, and it looks on paper like Liverpool have slightly easier fixtures uh, than City, um, with Liverpool only really facing one of the top six. And then they go to Cardiff, Huddersfield, Newcastle. Um, all teams, well, two teams, 
Huddersfield's already relegated. Cardiff is down there toward the relegation zone also. Newcastle are decent. Um, and then Wolves, that is a tricky match because they are actually playing really well this whole season. Um, as I, I mentioned before, they just beat us twice in like two weeks. So <laughs> that That's honestly probably the game that I'm most worried about. And not that not that I'm worried. It's not that I'm not worried about the Chelsea game coming up um, this weekend, but the Wolves game worries me just because I think I, Wolves are going to win that game. <laughs> <laughs> and I can envision a scenario where Liverpool needs to either tie or win the game against Wolves to win the Premier League title, and the pressure yeah. kind of gets to them and they crumble and lose to Wolves and that would just be an incredibly heartbreaking way um, to A Liverpool way. Right, right. It would be an incredibly (laughs) heartbreaking way for Liverpool to lose the title as a fan. Um, But just kind of handicapping it from my perspective and I'm I'm very cautiously optimistic in terms of Liverpool does have an easier run-up to the end of the season, especially if Manchester City is playing, is trying to go for the quadruple. They just have an, an, like a ton of fixtures coming up, especially if they make it to the semifinals of the Champions League. That just adds another two games for them um, during this time, during this like super hectic time. Um, and it's going to really test their squad depth. And basically that's why I'm kind of hoping that they win against Tottenham during the, in the Champions League so that it just adds another two games for the semifinal round. Um, and they kind of have to like monitor their squad depth in that manner. And they have a really, um, I would say, tough stretch um, coming up just with the amount of days in between games. Yeah. Um, let me read you their schedule. So they have uh, Tottenham on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, and, and then they have Crystal Palace coming Sunday. And then next week they have Spurs again. And then Spurs on Saturday, April 20th. And then Man U April 24th. So I, I think, and even this Leicester game on May 4th, that's another possibility. Going away to Turf Moor is never easy at, at Burnley say, uh, even either. Four days after the United match away to Burnley, you saw the um, Spurs lost out there just a that, week or so right. ago. Right. So I think those, like the Man U game away and then the Burnley game away are going to be the two games that as a Liverpool fan, you're hoping for anything other than a win for Man City, especially that Man U game four days after um, a really tough Spurs game, I think is going to be the best chance for Liverpool fans to root for something other than a Man City um, win because Man City at that point is going to be playing a ton of games against top level competition, and if if there's a couple injuries here or there, 
that are picked up by a couple Man City players, that's really going to test their squad depth. Yeah, and historically we've gotten up for those Manchester derbies, so I'd like to tell you that we'll do our best there <laughs> to try to spoil the party, but then I don't really want you guys to win the title either. So, <laughs> hey, Okay, so this is an interesting predicament for, I think, yeah. and a unique situation for a lot of Man U fans. So if you had to choose between City and Liverpool and who were to, like, who would you want to win the title this year? I think... So there's two different things. First is who do I think is going to win, and then who do you, and who would you is, rather want? Who is the lesser right. of the two evils that I would exactly. want to win? Right, right. And it actually is both the same answer right now. It's Man City. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason being, in the Premier League, I just get the sense that they are going to use their um, their greater depth as a as compared to Liverpool's squad depth, to push them across the finish line and and finish strong and lock down this Premier League season um, to repeat in back-to-back title. And then the reason that I want them to win, if I had to pick one of the two, is simply because they have won multiple times recently, and everyone knows why they just got investment and bought a lot of players, they spent $300 million on defenders alone, and they're already talking about getting more. Um, just that style of building up a team, um, sure, it worked, it got some titles, but it doesn't have the long-term history of some of the other clubs like Liverpool and United. So they showed that they could win it like that, so it's not like oh, wow, they're going to win the league. I'm, you know, I'm so mad, like, you know, because they just did that. We know they can do it, whatever. That's, it worked for them. What I would not want to see is Liverpool win after all this time and finally get their first win in the Premier League era because just as a United fan, it's so enjoyable to watch them never be able to finish out the the campaign. Um and just for the years to keep ticking by since they last won. And I just want that streak to keep going. I'm so sorry, but that's just how I feel. Yeah, and I mean, I think that from a logical point of view, it totally makes sense because you could kind of point to this thing of Man City, oh, they're just oil money type of thing, and they're buying their titles. And it's easier to point to that. They won, but I don't really respect the fact that they won the title. Right. Right. Exactly. Whereas, like you guys, I I respect your club's history. <laughs> right. I'll say and, that much. And I would. But say the fact that, that you can't win with all that history still is kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and it is frustrating. But I think it's almost it's a better story if Liverpool were to pull it off, just because if you look at the way the team is constructed, it's 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 almost more, I don't know how to say it, but more pure and organic in the way that they've developed um, the talent and kind of cultivated it. It's not like all the players that were brought into the team were the players that they currently are today. If you look at Roberto Firmino, the the one that we bought from Hoffenheim, he wasn't 
he wasn't like the star type of player that we've kind of come to know of him, um, especially. I've never Salah. heard of him before he came right. to Liverpool, for instance. Exactly. So law, like he wasn't supposed to be anything really coming right. from Roma and Healthy he's reject. Of, right. And he's had this amazing, amazing run of form. Uh, Sadio Mane, he's come from Southampton. So it's not like any of As these. the rest fight, of your squad. Right. Pretty much, <laughs> you know, you could go down the line. So it's, it's a, it's an encouraging, it, it would yeah. be really great to see this team pull it off just because they're players that kind of weren't they they weren't the players that they were when they came to Liverpool. Like, you know, Andy Robertson, all these Completely. types of guys. Yeah. Like and it's I don't even mind the fact that you guys splashed out big on Van Dyke and Allison because mm-hmm. those were areas of significant need that you guys gave it a go for a couple of years and you got really close and then I don't see anything wrong with, you know, spending the big cash where in an area that you really need it and it's something that's going to change your team fundamentally as opposed to just buying three levels of depth of star players in, like, the right-back position, you know? like Yeah, totally. That's completely different. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where it, it kind of – it gives me a sense of joy watching this Liverpool team just because – it feels more true to the way they their their mentality of building a team, um, and it doesn't feel like they're just tossing them tossing around money. Even though the signings of Van Dyke and Allison are kind of trending towards that um, in European football, so yeah, in but, general, I mean, a few players. That's just that's the market these days. So you can't really put that in the same category as a as a city or even Chelsea a few years ago. That's totally true. And Liverpool's done like really good business if you think about it. Like James Milner, no one was no one wanted him and he was right. coming off of like we got him for a free transfer. Um there's players that Liverpool's personally developed. If you looked at Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's like the young guy for Liverpool. Um and it's just like and Joel Montip, who's kind of been this their second center back. He was he came from for a free, free transfer as well. So there's guys that are really important to the squad that I think this Liverpool team and Jurgen Klopp have identified because they fit a certain role, and that's why they came and recruited them. And I I it just. I really hope Liverpool can pull it off, but I'm not super optimistic that they can because this Man City team is just ridiculous with the amount of depth they have. And it, it's kind of hard to envision them losing with the run of form that they've been on. Yeah. Um, but like you said, they have a lot of fixtures and they have some, some tough ones and tougher matches than Liverpool. So, um, Although I'm picking them to win it just because I think it's more likely that Liverpool, um, you know, trips up along the way. But um, on paper, it does kind of seem like it's leaning toward Liverpool, which is just the perfect opportunity for you guys to choke in epic fashion. <laughs> <laughs> so let's 
Let's actually turn to, I would say, the bottom two spots to, um, you know, the third and fourth place spots for the Champions League because it's pretty much going to be some combination of Man City, Liverpool in the first two spots. And then third and fourth get really interesting. We have four teams competing for those two spots. Um, and I read out the the table before. I think Chelsea's at 66. Um, Tottenham's at 64, Arsenal's at 63, and then Man U's at 61, with Arsenal, um, Tottenham, and Man U having a game in hand um, over Chelsea. So with about five to six games to go, who's going to be rounding out that top, or that the rest of that uh, uh, top four um, in your mind? Um, this is the really difficult race in my opinion um even more difficult to call them than the title for me um i obviously am rooting for united to get back up there but our um our poor recent form has not set us up in a very good position um to finish out in the top four so that being said um i do think it's still it's still possible. Obviously we could just win out, you know, anything's, anything's still mathematically possible, but the sense I'm getting is that we're just going to miss it. If I, if I go by my gut, which I hate to say, but, Mm -hmm. um, I honestly think that it might end up being, um, I think it honestly might end up being Spurs Arsenal and then Mm. Chelsea and United being the two that miss out. And I only say that because, Chelsea, although they, they've had some wins recently, but they have a tough schedule coming up, and their form over the past few months has been pretty inconsistent. They've had some changes in lineup. We all know the issues between Sarri and his squad, and like the blow-up with Kepa and all that drama, and just that uncertainty of are they sick of him? Will they you know, be looking immediately at a new manager? Hazard leaving the club most likely over the summer. There's a lot of unrest, I think, still boiling under the surface there. So I don't like their chances of staying up there. Um, That being said, I think Tottenham are rounding the corner from their poor form, and I think they really are going to turn it around and finish out strong. And Arsenal, including in there, mainly because they have the kind of schedule for the rest of the season. Um, And for that reason, that's why I think we're just going to miss it um, because Arsenal doesn't even face another top six team. Um, they do still play Wolves and Leicester, but that's about as tough as it gets for them. Um, so I could easily see them winning out. Um, and that would make it really difficult for us to to get into the top four. So I think we end up ideally fifth. In this, and then we have um, a nice rebuilding year for next year um, to get back up where we should be towards the top of the table. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting to kind of hear your thoughts on it because when looking at the fixture list and you know when trying to project who's going to be where, I kind of came to similar conclusions with Tottenham and Arsenal finishing in that third and fourth spot. And then it, it being some combination of Man U and Chelsea's Chelsea Man U, 
um, just missing out. And, I mean, I, you could kind of point to the fixture list. I think Arsenal has a really good shot at, like, having a really good end to the season. And just like what Wenger did, it always kind of propelling them to the top four. I think that's a real possibility for them. And Tottenham's kind of rounding the corner as well. It's kind of crazy to see their their win-loss record in the league. It's 21 wins, one draw, and then 10 losses. So it's it's they they were going through this super rough patch, but I think they they'll be able to get it together. Um, and it's not like they have a super easy schedule either. I mean, they still have Huddersfield and Brighton, but the four other games that they have are City, West Ham, who who aren't terrible, Bournemouth, who's clearly mid-table, and then Everton as well. So it's not like they're easy games by any of the um, by any means. But I would say Spurs are favored in five of those last six matches. Um, so I would say they have a pretty good shot finishing in third. And Chelsea kind. I, I point to their tough fixture schedule like you were pointing to and just the volatility of their performance level is kind of up and down. Hazard has kind of taken them to this new level of play in the last couple of weeks, but I wonder if they're able to keep up with that consistency. Um, they finally uh, gave Hudson Odai a chance um, out on the wing, which is fairly exciting to see a young player play for them um, kind of, yeah, that Taking never happens. That right, much. right. Taking the role from Pedro and uh, William. So it's that that in itself is fairly interesting. But one It'll of the things... It'll be interesting to see if, if he continues to get game time now. That right. He's had a and few he, games to, to play. Correct. To and show, he ended, showcase he end, himself. He ended up uh, starting in today's game um, that they ended up winning against West Ham. So it looks like... Sorry is kind of putting his chips in, in the middle of the table and saying, all right, we're going to just kind of roll the dice with this young guy and see what he can do. But I'm curious to see what happens with Man U and what the fan reaction ends up being. And I've posed this question to both you and Hedging per, uh, like on a personal level um, in our private conversations. But And it goes back to some of the points that we made during our Champions League talk about whether or not giving the contract to Solsar was the correct decision, especially with the timing of everything going on. And I know you made some good points about him setting up the squad for the summer, for the transfer plans and everything like that. But you've kind of seen the result of what's happened, and maybe it maybe it's just a pure coincidence, uh, in results and all those things, but it seems like the team looks a little bit more more complacent in the way they've played. And now that he has the job full time, maybe he doesn't feel the pressure to kind of hold his players' feet to the fire. And it's been a little bit more of a struggle. And now it's I, I'm kind of curious to see how they finish off the year, especially if they flame out during the champ in the Champions League against Barcelona, which is entirely possible. And then they have a run of form coming in that's a huge struggle 
and they end up losing a couple games that they shouldn't, I wonder if there's a possibility that Man U fans are, are, I don't know, kind of questioning why Woodward gave him the okay before maybe possibly perusing around what managers would be available this summer and giving those guys a chance or if since the beginning of the year was so bad with Mourinho whether or not all all Man U fans will be like okay all is forgiven regardless of of how he finishes the season I think to to any United fans that that would be like really upset with us missing the top four this this year I would just urge them to not be so short-sighted and not fall into the trap of just immediate gratification, which seems to be the issue with with um, the Premier League, not only, but just the, the pro game these days. With What I mean by that is just the tendency to fire managers left and right and try to do these brash things to right the ship and short-term solutions and things like that. I think that's sort of what we've been seeing since Sir Alex left. Um, even honestly, going back to to Moyes, um, he was also fired at, a, at an odd time. It was just shortly before the end of the season. Um, and I think that was sort of the start of a bad trend of, of high-level decisions um, at the club. So, I think it's important to remember that Solskjaer basically started with a huge um, hole to dig himself out of that that we were left with. Um, and I saw an interesting stat before the last round of Premier League games. Man United, since Solskjaer took over, actually were leading the table in terms of points since that moment that he took over of all teams in the Premier League. We were in first. Mm. So that's a good thing, I think, to tell any fans who are having issues with the current um, the current blip, I'd like to believe it is, is that, look, it's not going to be just 100% wins. That's just not realistic. Even Ferguson didn't do that. So it's okay to have some losses and to take the time to actually make this a meaningful, lasting change and to continue to get back to you know the good old days and to get back to the fundamentals of United. And I think giving Solskjaer this three-year deal and letting him get to the end of it will be a big achievement. Even even just letting him finish his contract will be a big achievement because he's already done so well, and now things are getting a little rocky. So it is on him to, to make things right again and then to build the squad in his vision over the summer. And I think we should be thinking more long-term as, as United supporters and, and look into the next season or two to see where we are. And then we can start having more serious conversations about was this the right move? But I think we got to give them a chance. Even right. if the and, announcement was a little bit at an interesting time. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I guess a follow-up question to that would be how long does the leash become um, for someone like him? Because let's say, 
I kind of outlined the doomsday scenario of them getting smacked in the uh, Champions League and then maybe not having a really good run of run of form coming in um, to finish the season. Is does that kind of color the way fancy them going into next year and being like, oh, he has a shorter leash next year? Or is it more just like, oh, he's accomplished what he's accomplished. He really got the, he's galvanized that locker room. And until there's things where, you know, he doesn't be, he's not getting along with star players like Pogba and things like that. Uh, And I guess in comparison to like what Mourinho went through, like the similar things like that, then that's going to be the impetus for possible change. It's not necessarily maybe the struggles on the field, but also in combination with things off the field that might get him fired uh, down the road. Yeah. I, I just think it's, it's already been a success and, what we need is stability. Um, and although Mourinho was there for almost two and a half, three years in terms of duration of time, he was there long. He just was not a stable figure in terms of what he was doing with the players and the direction he was taking. The club was not the one that fit with the club's values. So having Solskjaer be someone who has the club values ingrained in his whole philosophy immediately corrects that for that second problem I mentioned. And then just giving him time to get some st- stability back. Um, yes, there are going to be players leaving over the summer and new players arriving, I'm sure. But for those staying and, and were there when Solskjaer took over and experienced that change and that almost immediate lift and return to attacking style football, they'll they'll hold on to that, I hope, and they'll be able to carry that into the next few seasons. Even if we don't finish in the top four, I think there's still a lot to be positive about. Totally. And I mean, I think you're kind of seeing this recalibration of expectations for Man U fans, especially post-Ferguson. It's been because I think during Ferguson's tenure, it was win the Premier League and get as far into the Champions League and hopefully win the Champions League as well. Um, and those were the, the high and lofty goals that every Man U fan had. And then once he left and, you know, the turmoil that ended up with Moyes and Van Gaal and then Mourinho, there's this recalibration of expectations that I've been seeing And I think that while obviously every fan of a big club isn't content with just finishing in the automatic qualifying positions for Champions League, it's this understanding that, oh, there's a vision being put in place and now um, we just want to get seek consistent results and being able to challenge for Premier League titles and things like that. Um, so right, right, and I think it's and I want to say like I think that is still the goal. Like Mm -hmm. we should be challenging for the title, and we should be competitive in late stages of the the Champions League. But I'm not naive enough to think that we can just immediately get back to that, you know. And anyone 
who thinks that is, is I think just like what I said, naive, frankly, but give us a year or two to actually try to find someone that like Solskjaer, who's, who's going to be with us and, and take us back to the, the style of football that we like to, to watch and we expect, then I think we can get back to our old lofty expectations. Um, and hopefully it's not, it's not too far down the road. Right. And I, I think there's this one, one huge, huge point that I did want to cover, or it's like a, it's like another topic basically before I let you go. And before we part ways is you alluded to certain players possibly leaving and players that you guys want to bring in. And I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on, let's say if you're Ed Woodward and you, you had to kind of rebuild this team. Um, And with all the rumors going around, there's like questions about, probably half this roster um, as to whether they're going to be here next year or not. Like out of all the players that are rumored to come in and, or the types of players that you would want to come in, who would you want to bring in or the type of player you'd want to bring in position wise? And then which players are kind of rumored to be let go? Because Ander Herrera is already being reported that he might be going to PSG. Lukaku has a couple of teams surrounding him. That might be a possibility of him possibly leaving. Uh, we didn't even touch upon uh, Paul Pogba uh, with his like flirtation with Zinedine Zidane in the in the media and him possibly going to Real. Um, I'm trying to think of other guys. Center back position: Phil Jones, Chris Smalling. Uh, they're possible, I guess. Alexis. Po- right, Alexis didn't mention him, and he might possibly be gone as well. And then right back, Antonio Valencia, he doesn't seem like he will be coming back to Man U next year. So that might be another position of need at that right back position. Uh, Darmian, probably gone. Like, there's just a lot of different things that they need, especially with the amount of players that I've listed off. And if those players end up leaving, they need to bring players of substance and of of really good skill level to replace the level of production that those players going out are going to be um, uh, leaving as a void. So I'm curious to hear like what your plan would be if you were Ed Woodward. Um, to try to kind of return Man U to the upper echelon of the Premier League and for them to be in the top two spots competing for titles? I think, um, I think first and foremost, Solskjaer has made no secrets about how much he's been in contact with Sir Alex to just get advice about as much as he can. And I think that's a really great asset to have, of course, um, but one thing that comes to mind specifically with the situation we're in now is I think they really need to go back to what Sir Alex did almost at the start of his tenure at United and um, really focus on youth talent, youth development. Um, Ferguson was one of the first um, Premier League managers or um, managers in the first division of England before the Premier League even um, to really 
set up a broad, broad scouting network and to really bring in the best at the at a young age and focus on identifying talent so that they could grow them in the sense of they're going to have Manchester United values and they're going to come up playing with, you know, Manchester United first-team players and learn from them, stuff like that. I think we need to get back to that, and I think that's something that definitely was not as prevalent under the Mourinho era. And Solskjaer, having previously coached the youth squad at United and already bringing in a lot of our current youth players like um, Greenwood and Chong um, to play in the Champions League match against PSG, for example. I think we need to just continue to do a lot more of that over the next few years to just build a very solid base of of young talent that hopefully we can keep. Um, and then, as you mentioned, that will sort of give us cover for the inevitably leaving um, players this this season and next season because we do have people who are getting older, people who are probably wanting to go elsewhere. Um, I think, like you mentioned, right back is going to be interesting because Gallo is really the only long-term prospect there because Valencia is probably close to leaving. Young is getting older. Um, Darmian's not really in the picture that much. Um, But I think priorities for me, if I were Ed Woodward in in the executive office, would be to still pretty similar to what they were this past summer um, because I felt like that was a pretty unfulfilling transfer window. Um, I still think they should bring in a a, a, um, high-level, battle-tested center back. Um, Similar to what you guys did with Van Dyke, I think we're in need of somebody like that um, to try to just lock things down in front of goal. Um, and then still someone on the right wing. I know um, Jordan Sancho has been mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. That would be amazing, uh, being a young English talent um, playing abroad right now. But somebody like that, I wouldn't mind, similar to what I said about Liverpool earlier, I wouldn't mind splashing the cash on someone like that or or tried and true center back um, just because it would seem more deliberate, meaningful to focus on a position of obvious need and improve it with the cash that we do have um, as opposed to just bringing in another, you know, star striker or something um, to sort of flash the cash. I would, I would like to see some, some intentionally, smart purchases um, in areas of need. And I think that's mostly center back and right wing. Yeah. I think uh, Koulibaly from Napoli is one of these rumored names at center back that I think Man U and a ton of other teams are sniffing at, and he's probably going to cost somewhere around the Van Dyke level of 65, 70 million euros. Or, and I, I mean, I think that's probably one of the guys that, would be someone that man you would want and then the Jaden Sancho signing would be a really good signing for them as well I think my thing in conjunction with the Sancho uh thing and the kind of this youth movement in soccer is it seems like there's 
a level of comfort with other teams from other countries, maybe teams like Borussia Dortmund, um, that are more willing to give their young players chances um, to succeed. Um, and not just not just giving them the one-off chance in the Carabao Cup or the FAA Cup. You know, it's, right. it's this level of commitment and consistency that they – uh, give to these young players to allow them to uh, have the freedom to make mistakes in big situations, in situations like a regular season matchup. And not to say that Borussia Dortmund isn't prior- prioritizing um, winning in their league at all. It's not that they aren't doing that at all. They were leading the Bundesliga, um, I think, before they lost to Bayern this past weekend, I believe, but it's, it's not, it's not that they aren't prioritizing that, but they're just some type, some, there's teams that have this level of prioritization where they basically are valuing winning football, but then also have this model of, okay, we're going to really raise uh, young players games as well. And, Dortmund has really done that well with Pulisic, with Sancho, with all these guys around um, all over the pitch. And it's kind of crazy if you think about it. A player like Jaden Sancho was, while everyone thinks he's this special player, and I do believe he's a special player and Dortmund's kind of cultivated that talent, he could have been had for whatever million amount I think it was like less than $10 million that Dortmund bought him for last year. So it just kind of makes me question if these big clubs are hesitant to give these young players um, that have a ton of talent, the opportunities to succeed. Like I think Chong for you guys has been someone like that. That's been talked about green. I believe Greenwood as well um, has been one of these guys that are talked about and maybe get the opportunity at a, at a club that prior um, just gives opportunities to youth players, but might not get it at a bigger club like Manchester United because the backlash from fans would kind of be really strong. And I think you kind of see that, especially with someone like McTominay and him possibly supplanting a player like Matic. And honestly, he's probably played better than Matic this past year, I would say, Um, just if you look at the football and the ability. But because of Matic's name and the amount of money that Manchester United paid for him, I think a lot of people get seduced and tricked into this idea of this is what uh, dollar amount we paid for him. And he, that's, and the pedigree that he carries with the, with him as well. And he's being outplayed by this 21 year old guy from the youth system. It kind of makes you feel uneasy about the business that you do um, when, when buying transfers. And I, I mean, I think that's kind of, um, in all sports as well, where you, where players, you know, if you look at NFL football or basketball, it's harder 
your the players that have bigger contracts they're going to get bigger or going to get a longer leash for them to fail in comparison to the young guy that just got drafted in the fourth round of the NFL draft and yeah. it, it makes it's it's just a really interesting i i would say situation in terms of being able to evaluate talent and really have this um, system of meritocracy ruling out, um, and I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out at Manchester United because they were known as a club under Sir Alex to give these young guys chances. Like they gave a lot of the players that they had, and they ended up developing chances from an early age to succeed. And obviously, they had the talent to succeed. Um, and that's how we know about, you know, the schools, the Beckhams, the, the gigs, like that's how we know about them. But it just makes me wonder with this whole age of buying players and the amount of money that you buy, you know, that are, that's attached to a name and how maybe some coaches feel obligated to play them because of how much they paid for them. Yeah, and I think it honestly goes back a little bit to what I was talking about earlier, the short-sightedness of the whole Premier League the past five, ten years, really, where you see managers have just, they've got to do almost everything perfectly or else they're going to get fired, um, with some clubs having three, four managers in one single season. And so when everything's at such high stakes, you can start to understand why people just go for a um, someone with a high price tag over taking a risk on youth. Um, but I think in the long term, that's not a successful strategy. So I'm hoping, like I said, that, that we can get back to a little bit of that at United under Solskjaer. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think in turn that taking that chance on youth actually shortens the leash on um, the coach as well, because if it doesn't yeah. work out, then there people are going to just point to why isn't he just playing the guy that they paid right. money for anyway? So it, it brings a lot of questions to the coach if that risk doesn't succeed. And I just get reminded of like Leicester city and the way that they won the premier league a couple of years ago, um, with Claudio Ranieri, and within, I would say, a season, he was out of there because of his struggles, which yeah. to me was, like, insane. Like, if you're if you're a club like Leicester City, and obviously you have raised expectations, like, that's a team that wasn't expected to perform anywhere near ca- that capability at all. And, like, for me, I would have just given – like, he should have probably had at least three to five years, regardless yeah. of what happened um, in the following seasons, because he earned it. Which So it just kind of shows the amount of expectations that all of these owners have um, in their team. So it's a really fascinating time to kind of evaluate how much of a role money plays into – um, the ideas of how long a coach gets 
um, at succeeding at his vision and whether or not the coach gets the requisite amount of time to implement his vision as well. So it, it's going to be a really fascinating um, final five, six weeks of the year. And I'm kind of curious to see how it all plays out going into the summer transfer window as well. So Tyler, thanks again for coming on. I'm really glad that you were able to come on to talk about um, a lot of things. We got pretty deep in the, in the weeds with Man United, but I thought it was a really great conversation uh, to kind of see the direction and the future of where the club is going. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that Liverpool can pull it out. I'm very cautiously optimistic. Can I hold you to that? I am cautiously optimist, optimistic. I mean, the Mohamed Salah goal streak, oh, goalless streak is over now that he scored. Um, so that's over. Also, I think we have some good um, karma going forward, especially, I don't know. It, it almost feels <laughs> like that it's Liverpool's year, especially with, the game that they had against Tottenham scoring in, in injury time, the way that they did um, with Salah kind of having a pretty weak header and then um, <laughs> Lloris kind of carrying the ball and then it going off of uh, Toby out of the world into the back of the net. So it, it's just kind of one, it feels like one of those years for Liverpool, but you just never know. And Man City's extremely hot right now so um i'm being cautiously optimistic and we're hoping for a man U liverpool matchup in the champions league so we could kind of hopefully make a bet and see what ends up happening i don't know we might have to <laughs> bet for like um wearing and wearing each other's uniforms whoever loses um for a day or something like that. So there you go. Um, it's gonna. It would be a really fun way to kind of uh, see who makes it to the Champions League final. Um, so there's a lot of lot of soccer going on um, in the next couple of weeks, and a lot of important matchups going on um, in the next couple of weeks. So um, thanks again, Tyler, for coming on. And if you guys, I'm talking to listeners now. If you guys haven't subscribed, please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you could listen to it on Spotify. So there's a lot of different ways you can listen. And we are going to have a lot of different podcasts coming up. Um, Tyler, we're actually going to be talking about Masters uh, possibly next next week and kind of evaluate who ended up winning the Masters. Uh, I know Tyler's a big golf fan, so that, nice. that might Rory's be something. Rory's going to take it. So Tyler already has Rory. I... <laughs> I'm kind of curious to see like who, who ends up winning. Uh, Jordan Spieth is struggling a little bit. So that, that pick might be out, out the door. I kind of like Rory as well, but we'll see what ends up happening. He's been hot lately. Um, and always you could kind of see Tiger kind of poking around and it's always more exciting when Tiger is playing. So um, we'll see what happens during the masters um, this weekend. It's pro it's this, time of the year is probably one of the best sports I would say times of the year especially with soccer being with where it's at and Champions League wrapping up the seasons wrapping up baseball's kind baseball started we have playoff hockey and playoff uh, basketball starting the NCAA tournaments the championship games going on right now so it there's just so much 
sports happening. And it's really um, a privilege for me, Hedjun, and all the guys that end up coming on to the podcast um, to talk sports uh, with the listeners. So we're really excited to be bringing you more good quality content. So thanks again for listening. And thanks again, Tyler, for coming back on. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up And I'm addicted, I can't get enough